Happy Sunday, everybody. Good to see you guys. I'm Nate Wagner, one of the pastors here at Portico Church, and so good to see you all. I used to live in Arizona, and in Arizona, one of the fun things to do is to go out into the desert with some friends and just explore. And I had a good friend who grew up in Arizona, knew more about it than I did, and so when we would go exploring, he would just take us out into the middle of the desert, and then we would start walking around and following what seemed to be a trail. And the trail kind of, um, you know, was like at the bottom of a little basin, and we would walk, and all of a sudden, it's kind of like getting a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, and he was very distracted during this. And he told me, I'm always looking for a way out. Because as you go in these, what look like trails, they're actually dried creek beds. And even though when we're walking, it's completely sunny, not a cloud in the sky, and just this like canyon that we found ourselves in is picturesque, it's beautiful. Like, it's shady. There's a little bit of water down there, maybe, just like a trickle, a couple of trees in, like, a barren desert. And I was like, why are you always looking for a way out? And he explained to me the phenomenon that Arizonans are very familiar with, known as flash flooding. And it's a different kind of flash flooding than we even have here in Virginia in this area, because this flash flood in Arizona is much more violent and if you don't have a way out, you will die. People die every year in Arizona because they get trapped in these little canyons. And even though it's sunny, no warning until it's too late, what sounds like a freight train comes at them, and it's a wall of water and debris. You can literally see cars in random places in the desert because they get swept up in these flash floods. Well, in Revelation, the series that we're in right now, we are going to receive a vision from John that shows us and locates us in one of these metaphorical canyons. And we need a way out. Because in these two chapters, chapter 17 and 18, we receive a very vivid description of the coming destruction, but we also receive kind of a unveiling that that this canyon actually seduces us and pulls us in. And so Jesus, talking to John through this vision, calls us to flee from the seduction of destruction. And so we are going to be picking up in Revelation back in chapter 17 and 18. And there's so much there, but it's really one scene. And so we're not going to cover every single verse in it, but we're going to read through a few of them so that we get an idea of what's happening. And then we can kind of hear Jesus's call to us in it and understand where we are and the danger that we are in. So please open up with me. We're in chapter 17 to start with, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6, and then go to chapter 18 and cover verses 1 through 8. So Revelation 17, 1 through 6. 
Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Then picking back up in chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of, her passion, of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you help us to see things as they actually are. Lord, we are small and our brains lack the ability to understand all of the significance that's happening in this world. We don't see things for how they truly are. And so, Lord, we, we praise you because your word helps us. It guides us. It shows us what is happening. And Lord, your heart in that is to bring us into fellowship with you so that we might partake in your victory and that we might know you as our mighty God who judges all evil. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this picture that we see here in chapter 17 and 18 is this picture of a character we've already been introduced to Babylon, the great, the great um, prostitute. And she's sitting on her friend, the beast, with seven heads and ten horns. So this has taken us back a while. But don't get lost in the symbols. 
It's not an actual literal beast, but it's representative of these earthly powers, these earthly power structures that you can see that are tangible. So governments and um, economic systems, political systems, these are what the beast represent. And so Babylon is sitting on the beast and she is representing the unseen spiritual cohesion of all of these powers doing one thing, and it's destroying God's creation, elevating anything other than God into a place of God. And so it's pulling people into um, denying the one true God and in depending and trusting other things to do what only God can do. And in this picture, you see the judgment of Babylon coming. It's here. So this is kind of zooming in on the sixth and seventh bowls of God's wrath. And what we actually see them doing is God is, again, pulling back his hand that is holding all of it together. And all of the forces of evil turn in on themselves and they destroy the great prostitute. And so she's actually destroyed by the forces of evil. And so it is a it is a very violent death. It's a violent and sudden destruction that she meets. And so we have to first understand what is Babylon? How should we understand that? Babylon is an ancient city, right? We know that much. It is actually the nation or the group of people that came in and conquered Israel and besieged Jerusalem and caused a mass amount of death and pain. And then God judged Babylon and put an end to the Babylonian empire. But even before then, you can go back farther and look at the kind of origin story of Babylon. And it's in Babel. That's where the name Babylon comes from. It's Babel. Going back into Genesis 11, you see the people kind of going out and consolidating and saying, oh, God gave us this commission. He told us to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And that was good advice, but I think if we just stay here, hold tight, consolidate power, we don't actually need God. It's a good like backup plan, but we're going to try this out first. And so at Babel, they constructed this tower that was a beautiful demonstration of human might and ingenuity. It was a tower that was said to reach to the heavens. And so God, in his mercy, but also in an act of judgment, cursed the people by scattering them and confusing their languages. So we understand that. And so this is a archetype of this worldly power, these worldly power structures that seek to replace God and are vying for the, um, the worship and the allegiance of God's creation. For John, writing to the churches, in this letter, there's no Babylon, but there is Rome. And in these two chapters, we actually see Babylon described as the city on seven hills, which was a description of Rome, not Babylon. And so you see this kind of diversity. All of a sudden, okay, what is Babylon? Where is it on a map? We can't point to it on a map because it has multiple historical fulfillments. There, it happens over and over and over and over. 
And so, okay, for us, we're in Babylon. We are living in Babylon. No matter where you are located or living, there's elements of Babylon that you are dealing with. It's not any one city. It's not even cities in general. It's the forces and the spiritual force of evil that is manipulating everything and seeking to replace God and push out God. And here's the scary part. With how Babylon is described to us, it's seductive. Babylon is seductive. She's described as a prostitute for a reason. Prostitutes don't make their money by not being attractive. There is a, an appealing to our appetites that Babylon has. This isn't necessarily about gender. Instead, what is happening in the book of Revelation is that there is an option of a woman who's described as a prostitute, Babylon. And then there's an alternative that we're going to get to at the end of the book, New Jerusalem, the faithful bride. And so cities are just kind of described as women. And so one of them is represented as a prostitute, the other a faithful bride. So this seduction is real and it has teeth. So as John, so think about John. He's like sitting around, kind of all these crazy things have happened, and all of a sudden the spirit takes him out into the wilderness, which is just kind of a representation of a place that he is able to have perspective with because all of the trappings of Babylon are far away. In the wilderness, you depend on God and God alone because there's nothing else to depend on. There's nothing out there. And so the spirit has to pull John out of Babylon, take him into the wilderness to show him what's happening. And he sees this woman sitting on the beast with ten horns. She's arrayed in purple and scarlet. These are royal colors, adorned with gold and jewels, beautiful. And in her hand, she has a cup. And the cup is beautiful, but inside of the cup, it's full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Her name is written with Babylon the Great. That's an allusion back to Nebuchadnezzar, who calls Babylon great. When Daniel is there and he's imprisoned, it's Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and earth's abominations. And the woman is drunk. And what she drunk with? The blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. And it's not just her that's drunk, but all of the earth dwellers are drunk with that same blood. And so John's initial instinct in seeing this is marveling. And I think we kind of read this and we're like, really, John? But this is seeing something so magnificent, so awesome, so much bigger and more powerful than any person, that that is kind of the only way to respond. But the longer you look and the closer you look, and when we receive in Scripture, is like it gets dark real quick. So what seems like it's wonderful and beautiful and comforting 
and almost a mother of sorts turns out to be destructive. It's a really good metaphor to talk about the woman and the people being drunk with this. I worked in the addictions field for a long time before becoming a pastor, and I saw something in common for all different types of people who are addicted. And that is that none of them woke up one morning and said, you know what, I'm going to be addicted to this. It was never a conscious choice. Instead, it started by being attracted to something, having an experience, having a substance alter your mood, give you a high, give you a way of escape, give you some type of pleasure that you couldn't get from anything else. And then wanting that experience over and over and over again. And then looking to that experience to rescue you or to give you some type of transcendent experience. But all the while, it's handcuffing them to it. Because at some point, they look around and they don't have anything else. They're not even getting that experience anymore. They're not even able to get the thing that they were initially looking for. And it's trapped them. There's no way out. And it's somewhat mysterious how any person who is addicted recovers. And it does happen, but it's not everybody has kind of a different story. And it's one of the frustrations of people who are trying to recover that they don't know. They're like, I don't know if this is the right way out. I don't know if I am actually going to be free of this. Babylon has that effect. And you are in Babylon. So what are the ways that Babylon traps you? What are the ways that Babylon seduces you and pulls you in? Let's just stick with what's here. There's a million ways, but there's two explicit, maybe three explicit ways here in the text that are very relevant to us. One is uh, Babylon is a prostitute. So sex is part of this. Sex is one of those things that's so powerful and such a transcendent experience that it can pull you in and give you something that you desperately long for, desperately desire. You want that intimacy, that connection, that pleasure. And so your sexuality can pull you in, and all of a sudden, that is what matters most to you. And it also destroys you. It destroys you because of the pain that's inflicted when that is broken. It destroys you because of the pain that can happen when that is the way that you see yourself and that alone, and you forget that you are created in the image of God to be an image bearer. What about money? The kings of the earth are committing immorality. Well, the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Anytime you say money in church, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's not just think about money. Let's think about also what money can bring you, what money can give to you. Okay, because I would not say, and this is probably, you know, kiss of death. I would not say that I'm a person who generally like struggles with money. 
It's just not, I don't have that much of it. So, you know, I can't struggle with it that much, can I? But here is what happened to me this summer, that if you know me, this is like the worst thing that could happen to me. My air conditioner broke in my car first and then in my house. And I do not like the hot. (laughs) And so in those moments, I'm like, everything else goes away. I'm like, zeroed in. I'm like, I don't care where the money comes from or who does it. Fix this. Get it fixed. (laughs) Could I be happy without it? Without my comfort? Without the comfort that having money and being in a society that has money and these material goods, can I be happy without it? It's a hard question. All of the systems of our society are being controlled by Babylon. They're not neutral. They are drawing you in. And so here's how money destroys you. Money destroys you because it zeroes you in on that thing. Whatever it is, it might just be money. It might be what money can buy you. It might be the security that money provides for you. And now you're so focused on it that it's replaced God. And it happens very slowly and quickly at the same time because you don't notice it happening, but then it's too late. Is there a way out? That's a steep canyon. And it's totally replaced God. You don't need God. If you have money, you don't need God. You don't think, I can live faithfully as a Christian if I don't have air conditioning. That's okay. It's not that big of a deal. No, you think, get this fixed now, and I don't care how much it costs. Seductive. The other one that's in here is power. And not just um, power as we think of it, but what's attached to power, which are kind of cultural and societal mechanisms to exert influence and authority over other people. We live in the most powerful city in the world, without a question. And so much of our hopes and our affections are attached to political platforms. We go nuts every four years, every two years. We go nuts, and we think the world's ending. And there is so much money in politics because politicians know that. We are looking to systems of government and the worldviews that come from those systems of government to establish justice, establish peace, establish freedom on the earth. We actually think it can happen. And we're fools. But we've been seduced by it. We've been seduced by power. If only we have four more years, we can change this. We can actually fix the problems with our society. The problems with our society are coming from those structures. And any good that happens is only because God is sovereign over them. 
but how quickly do we say, oh yeah, God has a plan for that, but that's kind of like in the future, and so let's deal with it now our way. Let's use our power to exert authority over other people instead of patiently enduring and waiting for the rightful king. Seductive. Seductive. And then it hooks you in. And you are in that canyon, whether whatever it is. And you can't see a way out. And John sees this, and he sees this picture. And this is why right here, in after he sees this vision and sees the coming destruction. So John is kind of like, it's as if he is like got a 30,000 foot view and he sees the flood approaching and all of the people are in that canyon and they have no idea. And right there, we hear a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. There's destruction that is coming for the seduction of Babylon. And the one who's speaking knows that destruction very well. Because he is the one who went into the canyon knowing what was coming. And he took on that destructive Force. He took on all of the power of darkness. He took on all of the condemnation that God righteously and justly pours out on those powers of darkness. He took on death. But he's alive to speak. And so here, this is the grace of this text. That Jesus, alive to speak, to show us the way out. And it's him. Come out of her, my people. Flee from the seduction that's in front of you. Flee from the destruction that is coming and come to me. And so this is maybe a difficult or a frustrating command, exhortation. It's like, not very specific, is it? You want me to come out of a symbolic city that doesn't actually exist? Where should we go? Like, do we go to Idaho? I don't know. We're safe. Where is a wilderness that we can go to, right? But here's the beautiful thing about this. Jesus isn't just giving you an instruction. He's not just some guy speaking and saying, hey, the, there's a flood coming and here's the way out. There's a little path up there that you go to and like, yeah, that's how you get out and you can't see the path anywhere. His voice has power. His voice has power, especially for his people. John 10, Jesus as the true shepherd says this about himself. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So whatever else you hear 
know this, that the word of God, scripture, for God's people, is not just rules to follow or a map to get you out of a hard place, but it actually contains power that when you hear it, you follow him. There's a million different ways that happens over the course of your whole life, but it is in placing yourself under the good and gracious authority of scripture that you will hear him and follow him and be led out and know that all of those things, money, sex, power, comfort, all of those things that you have replaced God with, that those are going to be destroyed. And your heart will align itself now with Jesus. And your affections will go to him. Your hopes, your desires will go to him when you hear his voice. When you hear this call, come out, flee. And we're called out to the lamb, the one who's making war against Babylon. And we're assured that we will conquer because he is Lord of Lords and Kings of Kings. The lamb who calls us out is the rightful authority, the one who has power And so when we hear his voice, we come to him and we receive his victory. And then we get to rejoice. And that's where we'll go next week. Rejoice at the destruction. And when that happens, here's how you live. Instead of worshiping the prostitute, instead of committing sexual immorality with her, now you are living your life loving God. And instead of being one of those minions who are drunk with the blood of the martyrs, you are a follower of the lamb. You are his sheep loving this world. Instead of destroying it, you're trying to preserve it. You're trying to fight for its good as defined by God, as led by Christ. And so the call for us is to hear his voice first and know that we have to flee from that destruction that seduces us. We have to flee from any seduction that seeks to destroy us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that um, you've given us your word and that you not only give us your word, but you cause us to hear it, that you open our ears And so, Lord, I pray that um, the Spirit would help us, would guide us, would be with us in the midst of all of the various ways that we are seduced by our culture, we are seduced by the things that we want that aren't from you. And, Lord, I, I thank you so much for your Son, for the good shepherd who gives us life, an abundant life, who does not withhold any good thing from us, And Lord, I ask that we would trust him in the midst of our wilderness wanderings and in the midst of the coming flood. God, we thank you so much that you have given us all of these good things. And pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.